Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. And today is Tuesday, August 4th, 2015. We've got some great guests today, and we'll be talking about hops. And this this story goes pretty deep. Uh, ben Keen from Beer Advocates here. What's up, Jimmy? My summer co-host, dude. This is the summer of Ben. Two more weeks. And the summer of Goza. And uh, Jeff O'Neill... Our buddy Brewer, who's got some news for us about his new brewery. I think so. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm well, but Ben, I haven't met you before. Let's meet. How's it going? <laughs> I live. Uh, I live near Ithaca Brewing these days. Oh, do you? Your old stomping grounds. Where do you, where do you live? In Ithaca. What part, what part of town? <laughs> In Cayuga Heights. Oh, that's great. Country Club Road. All right. It's a nice neighborhood. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's. But, a lot cooler than it is down here I at bet. this time of year. I bet. This is the nice time of year up there. I don't know it's what a I'm secret doing. time. It's That's all because of my love for Jimmy that That's I'm hanging secret out time. All the, student, right. all the students are gone. All the swimming students, swimming holes are cleared out. Yeah. It's shady, right? There's no lines for beer. What are you thinking? Get, I don't know. Get back up there. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Jimmy. And we got John Siegel, the guy we've been waiting for for a long time to come back. We had you on three years ago. Jimmy, how are you? And today we're finally going to really talk about hops. And uh, we got Jeff and Ben and John, so... You guys take it away. So what, what's going on? It's the 50th anniversary of something. Yeah, it's the 50th anniversary of uh, Fritz Maytag buying Anchor Brewing Company in 1965, August 2nd. So wow. it's a pretty, pretty amazing thing that he did back then. And um, that's really created everything that's happened today. So it's really a pretty amazing thing. So it's, uh, it's a great anniversary. 50 years is a long time. And he's done so much uh, for this industry and it, it really influenced so many great brewers um so it's a really really good day did i ever tell you the story of my the letter that i have from Fritz? no what so when i uh, was a home brewer and uh, i lived in the bay area in the late 90s and first started sending out resumes to to breweries i sent out resumes to like 40 different breweries i got one response <laughs> and it was from fritz maytag on, on anchor brewing stationery yeah just classy all the way yep. it was uh you know, dear Jeff, a lot of people don't realize this, but Anchor Brewery only has 67 employees, right. and we're not expecting to add or lose anyone this year. Yeah, he's, he was very he was very good that and way. And I just proper. dug that out of my like uh, That's awesome. Yeah, my my chest. But th- there's a backstory here. So Class. going right. back, John, you're going to tell us All right. a little bit about your family yes. and, and the hop range. Okay, so three three generation hop farm starting in Malone, New York, up on upstate New York. My grandfather had 100 acres in Malone, also 100 acres in Grandview, Washington. '59, um, we rolled up trellis in upstate New York because of uh, blue mold and heptachlor. A lot, lot of New York State just stopped growing hops in the late '50s. Went out to Grandview, and my grandfather passed very young and my father took over and really he um he was kind of a maverick really cool guy he met 
and became good friends with Fritz Maytag, but also with Chuck uh, Zimmerman. And Chuck Zimmerman is really uh, historically one of the top hop readers uh, in the U.S., and he really was uh, the mentor to Jason Peralt. And Jason Peralt is the guy who's now probably the best hop reader in the world. You know, Citra, Sim- not Citra, um, Mosaic, and others that he's And he's Ma- Martin worked with him, too. And Martin Ramos, our ranch manager, also worked with, uh, with Chuck Zimmerman. I knew Chuck as a young guy. I worked at Anchor for a year out of college and went to work for my dad in the hop business. And so let, let, let's go back. So oh, we're going to go back. You guys, okay. you're in New York. <laughs> yeah. In Malone. I, skipped, I know I Malone skipped, because I skipped the generation of me. In, uh, I'm sorry. Laurel Ingle Wilder's series, that's where the Farmer Boys stories were set. So right, right. I know there's some history up in, up there. So Chuck and my dad, back then in the, in the middle 60s, uh, the U.S. hop You didn't hop know that, did you, Jeff? I did not. The U.S. hop How business was uh, clusters and brewer's gold and basic kettle hops, and all the noble Roma hops came from Germany. They got a better price. And my dad always believed that there was a real role for the U.S. hop growers to grow Aroma hops. And Chuck found a variety called 56013. It was originally developed in 1950s. Uh, by Stan Brook, I think his name was, in Oregon. And 56013 kind of languished in the, in the late 60s in Oregon, didn't do anything with it. Chuck, in his Prosser station for the U.S. hop growers for Washington State, got some rhizomes. My dad loved them in his nursery in Prosser, planted three acres, and that variety is now Cascade. Uh, in 68, my dad went out on his own and really just talked to brewers. At that time, there were only big brewers, Coors and Anheuser-Busch, etc., and it took about four years' worth of work, and finally, Coors Brewing Company in 1972 uh, ordered Cascade hops from, from the Siegel Ranch. So the Siegel Ranch really is the first place where the Cascade hop was commercially cultivated. Uh, in 74, uh, my dad and Fritz uh, became good friends, and Fritz launched Liberty Ale, which is really, if you're thinking about a benchmark beer that really influenced the IPA today, Liberty Ale is really the beer, and that was brewed with and dry hopped with uh, with Siegel Ratch. Seventy-four, seventy-four, yeah. Seagull you were born. Yeah. Well, all I know is in in seventy-two, seventy-two, I had I had a good vacation because my dad sold a million roots to uh, other hop growers uh, in a cooperative, and and that was really the reason why Cascade took hold, as my dad was able to then propagate roots, which he made money on, but he also let them out because it was a public variety. And today, uh, the Cascade variety is still the largest uh, variety planted in Washington State. It's, there's uh, 4,000 acres. Uh, now, the fastest-growing ones are, of course, the Select Botanical, you know, the Mosaics, the Simcoe's, and Centennial, actually, which is a public variety that's doing very well. So that's a quick history. On, uh, <laughs> on, and then I got involved. Well, now we're going to take a step back. So, so Jeff, for you as, as a brewer, you know, tell us how you got introduced to, to working with certain hops because, you know, you're, you're noted for your hoppy beers. Well, this is a great tie into what John was saying. Like, when I was first getting interested in brewing, I lived in San Francisco. Um, I, drank, I was drinking Liberty Ale, and there wasn't a lot else like it. Um, you know, Racer 5 was, was starting to show up, beers like that. Um, the Fair Republic, Fair, yeah. Um, the Anderson Valley IPA was out there then, and I worked at the the Twenty Tank um, Twenty Tank Brewery. We've talked about that a number of times, um, but that was one of the first places making you know hop forward you know beers like that yeah. that focused on single you know single aroma varieties. No, oh, that's great, man. And those beers, you, you know, those beers <laughs> were primitive primitive relative to the yeah. hoppy beers we have today. Um, 
Well, then also a guy named Ken, Ken yeah. Grossman came Sierra in. Paleo you know, and Sierra and, and, and Liberty Paleo. were kind of like... Are, are, is the next those thing. are siblings. Those right, two they really are. So were you, was your family selling to everyone like Sierra Nevada? You know, actually, no. It was Anchor and then... Uh, no, we didn't. We did, we've did. we actually... <laughs> we've never done business with the folks at Sierra Nevada, not because they are not interested in our hops, but it's just the timing hasn't been right. But um, they're a fantastic place and, and the nicest people. So, so as you grew up... Uh, so for a while, what, you ended up working at Anchor Steam? I did. Out of college, I spent a year there. I was the first tour guide that uh, Fritz hired, which was kind of a kind of a big deal because, you know, he was giving the tours, and his, his secretary, Linda Rowe, more than a secretary, she really was running running the office there. And so they hired me, uh, and I worked in packaging in the mornings from 7.30 till noon, and then after lunch, I'd conduct tours uh, in the afternoon. I spent a year there, and then my dad asked me to go to... Uh, to uh, the hop ranch to start working, so I, that was the end of my brewing career. Did they have that uh, that upstairs bar then? Yes, yes, yes. That's been there. Yes, that's been there for nineteen. I was. I'm going to date myself. Thirty years. I was. Uh, I was there in 1980 to 81. I worked wow. at Anchor. Yeah, that's yeah. A, and, and for those that haven't been there, it's a truly it's a beautiful place. Uh, it's a singular brewery. Yeah, um, one of the best brewery bars anywhere. Yeah, beautiful. So, so Anchor uh, Brewing and Ben, where are we going to go with the show? Because we're trying to talk about hops. Where are we going to go with the show today? We're up to 1981, but <laughs> what are we drinking right now? Uh, well, speaking of hops and New York and John, your family's roots in New York, I brought um, a new, rather new beer uh, from Omegon called Hop State New York, um, and it is made with 100% it's made with hops grown in New York, Cascade, Chinook, and Nugget. Um, and uh, Omegon is... Located on a hop farm, I think they have an interest in seeing more New York hops on the market. And so this is their, I guess, little stick to poke farmers and say, hey, we'll buy it if you grow it. it." And um, I believe that their intention is to, uh, they released it, um, I believe, in June of this year. And I I think their intention is to put out a new hop state every year going forward. It's a nice beer. Very delicious. It's, yeah, I like but it's it not. Lot. It's not that hoppy. Uh, it's it's skews toward hoppy. Yeah, but how, how do you? Well, when I think hoppy, Jeff, I think about like your IPAs. Well, like this is but a this more. Is a, this like is a, a, maybe a more like traditional style of beer. Like mm-hmm. the, the state. You know, the reality of growing hops in New York State is it, it's not an ideal climate. So when you the years that you get something that you can make a beer of this kind of quality is a relatively new development. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this beer is actually had it a couple times before. Um, it's made by my buddy Mike McManus, who is their, like, R&D brewer mm-hmm. there. Their innovation manager, I think it's, is his title. And he's had a hand in a lot of the newer hoppy beers coming out of there. Um, Hop House and the Nirvana, Nirvana idea, yeah. um, which are really... Uh, a new uh, a new transition for Omega Gang to focus yeah, departure on departure for, sure. for them, yeah. Um, but it's really interesting that they're making these beers with their house yeast. So so every beer from Omega Gang is made with the, the same house yeast, and it's a really versatile it's a really versatile tool that they have. You know, up in Cooperstown, we've been up a few times for Belgian Comes at Cooperstown event. It's this uh, weekend. It is, and it's I'm weekend, yeah. I'm bummed I'm not going this year. But um, they had the great uh, the Farm Museum mm-hmm. where they have that little it's like the little patch of hops and the old hop hop drying. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, John? I mean, you, look, that was like supposed to be 1842. 
you know, New York State. New York State, you know, in the 1840s, there was 50 million pounds of hops being uh, grown in New York State. It really was when the country was really the East Coast, and the West Coast wasn't really there yet. And it really is interesting. They used to have ads in newspapers in New York City getting people to come out to upstate New York as a summer vacation to pick hops and kind yeah. of have fun, you know, during the Victorian era. You know, it's a place where you could kind of let, 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 your, let your, you know, your Victorian thing go and go out to the fields, pick hops, hang out by the campfire, drink some beer. And that's how they got hop pickers. Uh, and it was, it was hard to get them because back then you'd have to pull the vines down. They were, they were grown on poles. You have to pull them, and they'd have to hand pick them. So it was really a very, very. And I don't know if you know about hops, but they they can scratch yeah, your skin. Irritating. Yeah. So it's 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 hard work, and so it was a way for people in the New York City in the 1840s and 50s to get out and actually ha- get out to the clean air of upstate. Talk New York. about prickly hops. So the first time I was ever on a hop farm. I instinctively took it, crushed it, and put it in my mouth. <laughs> so what, what would happen to someone if they did that? You're not that the job? first. You're not the first. And uh, it's usually an incredible explosion of bitterness. I mean, that's what you're basically getting. And uh, the next question is, am I going to get high off of it? Because they think it's you know connected to cannabis, which is, sorry, there's no CBD or THC in it. So I'm um, sorry to say that's not going to happen to you. So. <laughs> but you guys, like you know, as as hop growers, so you like your family's built your whole life around this. Yes. So you know the science, you know the agriculture. Yeah, we do our best. We have we have very good ranch managers that um, have helped us throughout the generations, and uh, um, you know farming is really a challenge. And uh, I I I always make make sure that our friends try and support local farmers for any produce they buy because it is a very challenging business, and and we're subject to so many variables. So. It, it's uh, every year's a new year. Every year's a new chapter at the Seagull Ranch, and we're always striving to, to grow the best hops in the world. That, that's the goal. But every year, um, there's always twists and turns in that path, you know. So. so, so Jeff, when you were at Ithaca, for example, you know Ithaca Flower Power, mm-hmm. how did you come up with that that recipe? Well, that was like a that was a time when some of the new varieties were emerging. Um, you know, it had a, a lot of the what they call the proprietary hop varieties, um, Simcoe. Amarillo, um, Citra once it was introduced. And it was a way to play around a little bit because, you know, at Ithaca at the time, that beer was a seasonal. So if it wasn't the same as last year's version, that was, you know, maybe more forgivable than the, <laughs> the flagship beer. Um, but then when we uh, really, when it really started to gain some momentum, we locked down. Um, John and I were just talking about this earlier yeah. before the shortage in 2008. Um, I had been lucky enough to get to know people like John and gave me an idea of what the real supply side of it is, uh, you know, what the, some of the realities are. Which is a big you know, a deal lot of when brewers, you're A lot creating. of brewers, you know, deal only with, with a, a broker type. Mm-hmm. And you get, a, you get a perspective from a broker that you don't get from a farmer and vice versa. Um, so I was lucky enough to have secured, an, you know, enough of those proprietary varieties at that time when stuff got short. Um, and John and I were talking about this earlier. The, there was a year that prices really spiked fivefold. Like, yeah. Is that right? Four, yeah. Five hundred percent. Yeah, about fivefold. Um, and we were somewhat insulated from that because I had written contracts on it, and it allowed us to really make a bunch more of that beer than we had before. <clears throat> and there was there were shortages of of that style of beer, that really punchy, intense IPA style. I mean, there yeah. there are breweries that couldn't do the recipes. Because the hops weren't there, or they had to yeah. Change some the of those, some of those real like tropical right. citrus flavors, they re- they're it's hard to get them any other way. Right. All right, we got a good start here talking about hops. <laughs> good people, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. 
1996, Elknife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. What a day, man. It's it's summer, New York City. It's hot, cold, thunderstorms, and uh, we got hops and some good guys in the studio. And I'm wiped out, man. It's been an intense summer. We had July Guver month, and it was 31 days of beer, and now it's like the summer of Goza. And uh, Ben, you know, you're keeping up with me, man. We had a great, great time this summer. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's busy, but it's a fun kind of busy, I'd, I'd say. And it's it's a probably wise to to ease back with the lower ABV beers like Goza, after starting off strong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got some great news here, you know. So, so our good buddy Jeff O'Neill, uh, we've got a little bit of news on on his new brewery, and uh, we'll take it away, Jeff. So, you, sure, you find a location, sure. and yeah, uh, yeah, we finally um, got a lease done at this uh, wonderful historical uh, factory site in Rockland County. It's called the uh, Garner Garner Arts Center. Um, and it's uh, like a pre-prohibition, pre-Civil War era factory complex with a number of other, uh, you know, artists and artisans as tenants. And it's a really cool spot. We're going to be able to re- take advantage of some really unique features that the that the site has. It's an old brick buildings that we're going to modernize and. Congratulations, yeah, man! I'm really excited about it. No, everybody's really, been asking. Everybody site. wants to know. Uh, so, Industrial Arts, Industrial Arts Brewing Company. It's going to be Thank in so Garnerville, New York. That's pretty awesome. So, what's your? I mean, every uh, <clears throat> construction project takes longer and costs yeah, more than well, you think it will. Yeah, well, um, a lot of the fabrication of the equipment is already underway. Okay. Uh, the brew house is being built in Germany and should be finished in October, and fermentation tanks are going to be done actually uh, in the middle of September. Oh, okay. So we need to get the buildings ready. We need to cut floor drains and do um, install new flooring and and get the you know the spaces cleaned up and do some demo, but it's, it's, it's wide open kind of warehouse uh, factory space that doesn't need... I don't need to build build a building. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So sometime in 2016. Yeah, hopefully before next summer. Cool. Yeah. And what what are like things you're looking for when you're looking for a building? Are there certain ceiling heights you need? Or yeah, you need. (laughs) Well, you need you need it all, right? Um, You need ceiling height. You need a loading dock. But like, how high how high ceilings did you need? Like, what was the minimum? So these ceilings are about 18 feet high, which is a little low for what I want to do. And we actually have to design uh, the. The fermentation vessels uh, to fit in, under that space to be the size that we need. So we can only fit hundred barrel uh, tanks in that space. Um, so that will, you know, we'll have to acquire more square footage to grow rather than 
you know, growing building up. bigger. Yeah, it'll it'll be more difficult to to grow vertically. Um, but it's it's a really it's a site that can sustain us for a long time. I think it's a beautiful historic building. I mean, it's really. I mean, tell them about the history because it's it's a long long. Yeah, it was history. a it was a dye works like a print uh, factory. I've heard it was a textile factory. Later on, it was a steam generating plant. Uh, after the depression, that was how they got up and going. They they were making steam and they would give free to uh, making electricity, and they were would give free utilities to anyone who would set up shop there. So they've had a history of, uh, of um, kind of, you know, industrial tenants, and it's a it's a cool it's a really cool yeah. spot. It's a really cool spot. So since, since you know you're, you're you've been a brewer a long time and you're setting up your you know your brewery, are there certain visions you have for it in terms of like green or you know what the flow of you know? Well, every you know. If there's 4,000 breweries in the U.S. now, there are 4,000 different ways to do it, right? So everybody's got their own unique um, perspective and philosophy on how to do it. And in some ways, that has been a fluid situation for me. Like, uh, I don't know if when I first started envisioning opening this brewery, it was as ambitious as it is now. But at some point, I started to look more toward um, how it would scale and how, how growth could happen and... You know, one of the symptoms of having worked in growing craft breweries for a while is going through those painful, <laughs> painful, yeah, painful so uh, grow, growing, you know, like tripping over yourself for a year because you didn't think that you'd have to bring two tractor trailers there in a day. Yeah. Like, it's just little things like that that can really add up and, and cost you a lot of money in the end. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to say, like, this is not really a typical brewery startup we're, we're starting up with a lot of technology so what, what are of some space. of the things that, that you want that you're going to get um well we have a really great flow through in this site where raw materials will come in at one end of the site and the finished product will leave like maybe three or four hundred yards away from from where the brew house is so there's a really great sort of natural flow through the site and it, and it's uh, actually even follows a gradient on the on the land there so it's kind of downhill through the process um there's a nice loading dock situation large warehouse a lot of cool like it's kind of a dickensian factory <laughs> type of thing like there are like alleys with brick pads and yeah it's just a really unique you could have a movie shoot there. It's really it's yeah, really and and yeah. we're going to have a, a lot of space. It's a it's going to be a, a really um, it's going to really we'll have a lot of events there that'll really occupy this space well. I think hmm. um, there's plenty of parking. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of parking. It's a cool place. And, 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 you know, you have to drive to get there, but once you're there, I think we'll have an easy time making people feel really comfortable. So, so, like, a lot of it, honestly, to answer your question, long story short, um, it evolves, like, based on the site and the circumstance, and it has it has been... And what, what's one... Is there one toy that you, target for me. Is there one toy that you're buying that you well, always want? Well, the brew house is, is really something something else, and that was going to go in no matter where we were, where what we were going to do. It's a, you know, we talked about this last time I was on. Um, there's a lot of bells and whistles that are designed to maintain um hop aroma let's just put it that way there's um some unique uh process engineering that we're doing that we can expose work to hops at a lower temperature than you usually can which would be awesome it's gonna be very very good we think so yeah i think it's gonna be great 
Good for the hops. Yeah, and and, and of course, um, John, you know, we're going to use a, a lot of uh, Siegel Siegel Ranch hops, and I'm I'm really excited to say, and we talk about this a lot. He's trying to get away from being responsible for uh, pelleting of hops, right? And so I'm going to use uh, his his hops as whole whole flowers, and right. and we'll really get them raw and relatively pure and. I mean, as a hop yeah, grower, that's the mo- that's the biggest compliment when when someone will just take your bale and just split it open and measure it and put it into the brew house. I mean, it's fine. To, it's fine as far as pellets are concerned. It certainly, you know, it's a good way to brew, and there are a lot of advantages. And we'll use a lot of pellets as they're well. They're going to use pellets as well, but they're going to be using whole leaf, which, you know, that's anchor. There's a few only a few breweries Sierra. that do Sierra Victory. Victory. You know, yeah, the yeah. only few that are really actually North Coast uses some of our hops oh. from our farm. In whole leaf and pellets, so but they're very few. So it's um, it warms my heart that Jeff is going to go back to yeah, the and, and we're week, we're so. doing it in a really intentional way where we'll be able to um, really control that exposure and not like it, honestly, most small brewers don't use uh, whole hops because they're they they're a pain. They're, they <laughs> it's true. Um, it's true. They're hard to use in in the process that has narrow piping and valves and. There's just a lot of cleanup involved when you use when you use whole hops, but um, we're setting it up to, to make it a little bit more manageable to be able to bring them through the process, discharge them, um, and uh, I, th- I think I think it'll give us a, a different tool than, than a lot of other brew houses have. And, and I think uh, it'll drive some unique character into our beers. Speaking of John's hops, we're drinking. Yes, beer uh, made with yeah, your I brought hops this. Now, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is I brought it because you can't get it in New York right now. It's the uh, New Belgium Brewery's uh, Ranger IPA, and my sister Jean was kind enough to bring some up from Maryland. And um, the reason I also brought it it's it's brewed with Simcoe's uh, Centennial and Cascade, I think, in the boil, and then it's uh, dry hopped with only Siegel Ranch uh, Cascade. So we're really honored to have um, our high oil Cascades uh, as a dry hop in the Ranger. It's a, it's, a, it's a lovely IPA. I, I've always liked it. I think it's a very balanced product. has a nice malt bill as well as great aromas and great flavors. New package? Yeah, it's a new package. Um, but I just brought it because it's you can't get it in New York, so I thought it would be kind of novel to have it. So what, what are the flavor profile? I mean, th- this is a little softer than some of the IPAs we're used to now, but it tastes like beer. So somebody <laughs> help me. So, so descriptive. I hope so. <laughs> this beer tastes like beer. Well, it doesn't taste like hops. You know, it tastes like beer. Oh, I don't know. This is this is no. a beer that skews towards hoppy. Yeah, I think it's. I think it it's not overly hoppy. bitter yeah. though. No, it's maybe right in line with. It might be even less bitter than. So that, that maybe when yeah. I talk about hops, I'm, I'm I, I should be talking about bitterness then. Is that that's what uh, I no? should? No, no, yeah. that's just one. That's, that's just, just one, one aspect. Yeah. Um, and I think actually that's maybe what I'm trying to describe and not doing well at is I want to make really uh, the intention is to make really hoppy beers while controlling the bitterness and keeping the bitterness low. Um, because yeah. for me, b- bitterness can really limit drinkability a lot of times. Well, we're, we're having a discussion in the car, and I won't mention any breweries, but you know there are a lot of great IPAs and double IPAs out there that are, are so hoppy. And as a hop grower, of course, we want you to use three or four or five pounds <laughs> per barrel. But you know, sometimes after one pint, the IBUs are so big that you really just you're sated. You're just you're done. You just mm-hmm. you know. And I think um, that's fine if that's the experience you want. But I think there are a lot of brewers out there that are looking towards uh, more balance and and uh, having more than one beer. And I think that's there's a huge market for that as well. It's certainly fine to have a beer that's, you know, going to knock you out, but, you know, I might not have a second pint. And so it's, it's just the style you want a beer or a brew, you know. Yeah, Jeff, what, what do you think about the shift that uh, I, I would say has happened somewhat recently towards hoppy beers versus bitter beers? Because I do think you see more of them, um, you know, if, 
people have thrown around the term East Coast IPA, oh right, oh, as, a, as a something uh, in opposition to the really intensely bitter We're, West Coast IPAs. It's like bringing um, in the rap music, right? Yeah, right exactly. This radio show. Sort of some gang warfare. <laughs> No, but uh, more seriously, what do you guys think about, uh, is this something... We have good music in the break, John. (laughs) (laughs) Is this something you have noticed? You're talking about, you see there's a potential and a a market for these uh, beers? I think there's a market for all types of beers and all types of beer styles. I mean, I think that if you go back in history, if you look at, you know, Stone and you look at Ballast Point and you look at Green Flash, those are certainly styles that come from the San Diego area, Mm -hmm. and their beers tend to be a bit more bitter or hoppy, however you want to describe it, versus Long Trail or others that are, are, that are more malt, malt-centric. I think all beers are good and some are better, and it really just depends on, on what you like and what you're eating at the time and what your experience is at that but, beer you want. But it, not as a I, well, better would, or less good, not, but no. I'm just wondering, do you see more of these um, IPAs, let's say, that are uh, more nuanced? Um, well, there are than, more specific. The there are yeah, more yeah, specific. There's a, a broader palette that you can yeah. paint from now. So there are more specific flavors that you can coax out of hops than mm-hmm. you could before. True. Whereas bitterness is kind of a generic thing about hops. Every hop will give you bitterness to some to some degree. Um, and with the amount of <laughs> Pardon me for saying this, but with the amount of money we're spending on hops <laughs> these days, um, you really want to get the impact out of right. it. And it's yeah. not necessarily um, the point of difference. It's is not about the, well, the point of difference is no, maybe no longer so much about my beer is more bitter or less bitter than someone else's, but more. I have a question for you. So last month, you, you made a, a beer at threes. The, the was it the Just Add Water yep, IPA? Yep. So now, now I'm, I'm, that was not an IPA, not at all. It wasn't. No, no. Just no. called Just Add Water. Yeah, that was a. In fact, that was a Britannomyces beer, not an IPA. Okay, but a hoppy beer. Well, that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Is I, I think that in my mind, I've thought of hops, and I think a lot of listeners too, as bitter. Mm. So that beer you made, for example, I was trying to figure out how do I detect the hop character, but it wasn't bitter. I think right. that's what I'm getting at. So I think if I'm if I'm correct, I don't remember exactly because it was a long day, but I don't think we added more than a couple of ounces of hops to the boil, which... Uh, it, what was it, the batch size? It was a, they for... make 15 barrels okay. at threes. It's a beer we made at threes. Um, and it had a heavier load of Citra and Simcoe later on, a dry hopping. But we also used a lot of fresh fruit in it, mango, and then mango puree down the, down the line, too. So it was a you know, tropical fruit-style beer. But no... I, I don't think any brewer would call that an IPA. Mm. There, that said, there's not a very neat category to put <laughs> mango, wheat, late hop, Britannomyces beer. Um, but it's part. I think part of the evolution of. I guess I just put it on the menu as as a threes uh, just at water IPA. So. <laughs> well, it probably didn't last more than that day. It was pretty right? good. It was good, yeah. Um, oh yeah, it's a really nice beer. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I was hoping we were, we were there this afternoon. Yeah, I didn't. Have, yeah. They said they sold through it in two weeks. So wow! So it was really popular. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna I take heard, a short break. We're we'll back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. All right. Good one.
All right, coming back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. There's some, there's some great incentives to become a member. There's some really cool offerings there. But always check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Pretty soon there's going to be a new website and a lot of new things going on. But we're going strong. We're almost at 300 shows on Beer Sessions Radio. And uh, Ben Keen, Jeff O'Neill, and John Siegel have been part of them for quite a while. So nice to have you guys on. Always a pleasure to be here. So we're talking about the hot master, hop slave, (laughs) Jeff O'Neill and his new brewery. And uh, <laughs> what, does like that make, what does that make John in this scenario? I don't want to know. Hop overlord? Uh, no, no. <laughs> We're partners. I, I refer to I refer to everyone that works at this works with the Seagull Ranch, Ranch as a partner. Let's let's go for the next beer, the next hoppy beer. But we, we've had a nice conversation. We're talking about Jeff's new brewery, uh, the Industrial Arts, that's opening upstate, and the difference between like hops, you know, and hops and you know bitterness. But like, let's let's talk more about that. You know, what, what else can can hops do? Because I, I still associate with like real hoppy West Coast bitter IPAs. Well, I think even West Coast beers are trending more toward aroma. I mean, it's it's about aroma and it's about um, impact and freshness. And and I think most people are starting to understand this that um, when we're talking about any of these beers, it's, freshness is totally important in a way that it's almost never been before with popular styles of beer where you know there's such a big difference between one of these beers when they're a month old versus three months old there's a brewery and i'm blanking on the name in california in the san diego area that's rather new that you can sign up to this sort of membership club membership program and uh when they produce their their newest ipa for this small community they will deliver it to you on the same day oh wow um, t- speaking to your point about freshness and this sort of, you know, clamoring for the beer as soon as it's uh, ready to serve, um, that would be an extreme example of but that. But it's real. I mean, yeah. it's it's a real impact that diminishes in this yeah. style of beer, whether you are the most technologically advanced brewery in the country or right. or a home brewer. No, it's, it's ephemeral, and and it's like keeping hop aroma in a beer at ninety days is like the holy grail. It, it, it's 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 really important, and I mean, look at Lagunitas. They built that huge brewery in Chicago. They built and the they're brewery, building a third one, and they're building a third one, and, and they're also a very big partner at the Seagull Ranch. But they built that brewery for a couple of reasons. One, you have the whole trucking from Petaluma to New York is costing a fortune, and also it's not good for the environment. But also having a Chicago brewery obviously brings fresher beer to the New York area, and and you'll notice that Lagunitas IPA is everywhere in the city, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a great you know, roller coaster, a gold roller coaster when you have fresh beer that's constantly turning and turning uh, at all, all the establishments and in the stores. John, which of you, well, first, I totally agree with you because just being local now, the other half, threes, and there's so many local breweries that they're selling their beers out the week they're made, and I'm selling them out within a week of getting them, and it's, you can't compete with that. But what, what's in Lagunitas IPA? Which of your hops? So at times, because they're so big right now, uh, you know, when I met Tony McGee in 2008, he was a 40,000, maybe a 50,000 barrel brewery. You know, <laughs> I think last year they did, I don't know, almost 680,000 barrels, something like that. So it's been just meteoric growth for Tony and, and the folks at Lagunitas. Um, our Cascades, we sell a lot of Cascades to them. We sell a lot of CTZs. 
uh, and Centennial. So those are the three varieties uh, that we, uh, and some Chinooks, actually. But this Cascades there, we're we're a big supplier. You know, let's talk about hop profile and the beers that we know. So we had the New Belgium Ranger, and what hops are in that again? So in the boil, I think, and I can call them later and i'll probably be corrected but it's uh it's simcoe centennial and cascade in the boil and i think they dry hop uh 100 they're dry hopping with seagull ranch high oil cascade. they say uh chinook cascade oh, chinook? and simcoe on the on okay. the label I got, i'm not I trying know, to be I, the bad I, guy you can tell i didn't do my homework <laughs> so it's chinook when, there's no centennial in there not advertised on the label at hmm. least okay but that, that has a softer profile it wasn't as bitter as yeah. some other IPAs. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a very balanced IPA. I, I, I think mm-hmm. the aromas are great, and I think um, I want to have more than one of them. I think it's a and now we have the, yeah, we're drinking the West Coast Green yeah, Flash IPA. I think IPA. this is a, an improved beer over when they launched it, too. Oh, interesting. I think this was um, the first time I tried it, I thought it was kind of a miss. Must be the hops. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the West Coast IPA from Green Flash, reading from the label again, is Simcoe, Columbus, Cascade, Centennial, and Citra. So five varieties. And that's a double IPA. That's a double. So the alcohol's higher. And I, I, it's a delicious glass of beer. I, I've always liked this this, uh, this beer. I think it's a great glass of beer. But far more bitter. Much more bitter, I think. Um, and then for Jeff, the for other, you, the for the, the Peekskill Eastern Standard IPA, which was, for a lot of people in New York, their favorite IPA for a while. Sure. Uh, what are the hops in that? So that's a uh, Simcoe, Chinook, Cascade, um, Dry hop was Centennial, Citra, Simcoe. Um, probably there would have been one or two other things in there at any time too. <laughs> can never can never do anything better than you, man. It's, well, you're it's rocking how, it's it. How you do it, man? Yeah. So, how, like, tell us what you put in it. Industrial arts. It's 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 like uh, I think we need to get like some serious. Uh, you know, homebrewers on here and talk to you because no. you got to. No, you don't want to. <laughs> but don't do that. To me. <laughs> you know, Jeff is very innovative, and he's doing. I can tell you because we've talked. He's doing uh, things with hops and raw materials that are really very interesting, and he's trying to bring out different nuances of all of his raw materials, especially hops, in ways from a brewing process and post post. Uh, brewing that I think are going to be very interesting. And that's I'm all trying, I, can I try to stay out of the way of a lot of these ingredients, right? Like, mm-hmm. right. So many of these, you know. A good chef really wants the product to stand out, and so I think that's kind of his. If I can speak for him, I think he's really looking to have industrial arts beers be representative of the high quality products, uh, raw yeah. materials. He's you can buy. expect them to be very expressive beers. And with 4,000 breweries, is it not important that you uh, are doing something that helps distinguish sure. industrial yes, arts absolutely. from exactly. the exactly. other 4,000 pale ales out right. there or what have you? Yeah. Well, I mean, a peak scale with the cool ship, I mean, that was really a wonderful mm-hmm. yeah. process. Yeah, where I you, a lot doing that. You used the cool ship. You didn't put really very many hops in the kettle. That was low it. tech. Right. That was but you used the cool ship as really yeah. as a way to hop your beers you know, in the cool ship, not mm-hmm. in the brew house. I mean, which this is, is really pumped up to the top floor. That's, of that's the what I was thinking. And that was just amazing to see. You're getting you know, it. No one ever, yeah. no one ever, ever done that. I ever seen, saw that before in a brewery. So that was pretty innovative. But that, but, <laughs> but a cool, ship, but a cool so John, ship, but a cool ship's not going to be at industrial arts. So he's no. moving. So, no, I'm so going to have. I mean, I'm going to have right. actually more finite control over right. that stuff. And right. and, it's, and think I 
maybe stumbled upon something with this, but there's a lot of aroma that gets driven out of hops, for better and worse, um, that I'm going to try to keep in the keg. Sounds like you're working with a pressure cooker or something. <laughs> well, I don't want to blow your secret analogy. Oh, it actually sure. is. Yeah, it actually is yeah. a little accurate. It's pretty accurate, actually. Sure. It's and and that's a part of fermentation as well. It's keeping, you know, even carbonating beer. It's a point at which you can kind of undo a lot of the hard work that you've done to to really bring a, a you know. So we, I want to taste some of your process. test batches. Well, it, you know, there, that won't be too long. We yeah. have I got a really nice pilot system that we're going to fire up pretty soon, and uh, that's almost ready to go. I'm going to so give him some hops from last year. Yep, I'll be out at John's Ranch next month, yeah. and yeah. we're going to uh, send back some. some well, let's talk about that. So we, you're going to go out to his ranch, and what's, what's the experience that a brewer like Jeff gets? By Man. visiting your ranch, it's, oh. besides trying you, you to know, eat hops and choking, oh, like pork, you know. pork chops marinated in a root beer. <laughs> you, should come, you should come out one day. Actually. Oh, the best! Oh, you guys have best, food there too. Oh, yeah. the best family yeah. barbecue yeah. ever. Yeah. Oh, the best Mexican barbecue in so, in history. So what we do? It start. It started with Lagunitas. The only reason it, I go is for the the root beer for the root beer pork chops. <laughs> so it started with Lagunitas, and now it's kind of become a, uh, created a monster. But basically, when you buy hops from us, you're certainly invited to come to the ranch for selection. It's like going to the farmer's market and picking out your own tomatoes, basically, right? And um, we do a really nice barbecue where we go to the, the local uh, canasteria. We buy Mexican cuts of meat, all funky. And then Martin Ramos's mom will then set up her tortilla station. And she will make fresh tortillas Jesus in front Christ. of you. And Jeff's just, like in a reverie just, right now. Yeah, They're just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> And Jeff loves the Hudson Valley, but he really loves no, it's just amazing. And no, there's, there's, no, there's, make, there's no, there's no, no. we make two like or three, we make two or three salsas from all the vegetables in our garden and the peppers we grow. And there's usually like a case of fresh Pliny the Yes, Vinny usually yeah. sends us like temptation, a supplication and Pliny, and we're just sitting there. And basically then I want to get the brewers drunk enough so then when they go to select the hops, they're going to be so happy anyway, they'll take anything. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a we wine have, merchant. We get, you know? we have, yeah, we have a great. You sell, time. you sell with cheese, and right. you know we have a great time. And uh, and then they get to select the lots that they want, and and it's really. Um, it's nice to suddenly sit at a farm and select the hops you're going to use in your brewery. The barbecue makes those bad news phone calls when the crop is a bit short and we have to short you by 2% or something. Like, remember yeah. those pork chops? Uh, and also, you're not getting what you wanted. <laughs> so we left you back in 1981. We ate grasshoppers. Yes, we started to get a little bit, you know, something, something fun for people to try. So last year we had... Um, Fried grasshoppers in a spicy limon they were delicious. and chilies. They're, really They're actually yeah. really great. They're yeah, really what are they? I've the had them at a Mexican Future protein. Yes, it's going to save the world. It could. It absolutely we, could. We know kids at thirty different countries that are yeah. cooking. You know, insects. No, no, we, but John, yes. quick one. Okay, yes. so you got to be a good story. You're working at Anchor. Yes. Talk about how hops can grow. You're working at Anchor. Yes. And there was what an explosion, a, a Mount St. Helens explosion. Oh my God! Tell us yeah. that story about your dad and what happened. So. Yeah, we thought we were out of business, honestly. So Mount St. Helens blows, and there's three feet of ash on the farm. And we really thought we were in serious trouble. So did the cherry growers and the apple growers and everyone else in the Yakima Valley. And it turns out that if you you haven't been out, but when you step on the soil in, in the Yakima Valley, it is, it's volcanic ash. I mean, yeah, that's, that's literally the soil. It's very, very on the wild. So anyway, the best crop we ever had in the history of the Yakima Valley, at our ranch at least, was was. St. Helens this year because all that volcanic ash just gave us a tremendous crop. But it, 
we certainly had to replace a lot of filters in the tractors and the trucks. But, but other <laughs> so than that, the ash great acts as like a fertilizer? It's, it's just incredible amount of nutrients in volcanic ash. It's the best thing you can put in soil, really. It's just remarkable. So there stuff. should be more hop farms like uh, on volcanic slopes. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, n- well, n- one are, more anecdote. Yeah, Wait. Okay. On every one of them, yeah. you can Wait, find Jeff, at the 43rd so f- parallel, right? Fast forward, so. 35 to 55, yeah. What? Fast forward, what? To 2000s. Eight, when, when did the next big leap happen for you guys and name a couple of breweries that, that really well for us part I mean, of first his first meeting Tony McGee honestly at Lagunitas and then um, uh, I went to CBC uh, Boston which was I think 2009 we had anchors we've always had anchor as a, as a partner and we had no one else because we were an Anheuser-Busch grower so I basically had to start from scratch and through anchor I met Tony uh, and uh, and then it, that really has been a fantastic partnership. Uh, and then many of the other brewers I've met were through conventions and, and uh, the Hop Quality Group, actually. Val Peacock uh, introduced us to a number of people through the Hop Quality Group, which is a group of craft brewers who really care about the quality of hops and how hop farms are, are run and, and, and you know cleanliness, all that stuff. You so cold called me? I called called Jeff at Ithaca Brewing Company, came up and uh, met you. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't really very nice. What, what, what made you no, break out? He was very nice. So before you, what? You, you, you did he make some... you pork chops? That's the question. Can I tell you what I but did? You, honestly, I actually googled you, the top forty craft breweries. But before that, you, you had some <laughs> larger breweries, yeah, and you were selling to them. We were an Anheuser Busch grower for thirty-five years, and we were. So they bought all your hops. They did, except for Anchors, and we we were the first. Uh, farm to actually have uh, Willamette's grown in Washington State for Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch had their experimental nursery, was on the Seagull Ranch, so we were kind of like the showplace for AB back before InBev bought them. When InBev bought Anheuser-Busch, it really just changed the whole landscape of the, the brewing business, and, and AB was, was not AB as it is. So it, and then it, what you, you so saw we, we were, out we the were, craft we, Yeah, beer. we were a Willamette grower and a Cascade grower for AB. We were given three years uh, really to um, sell our production. We, we were bought out of our contract for three years at half the contract price uh, and then basically from 2007 to 2010 we had to get ourselves back up to build a new business to farm, almost, to farm yeah. 400 acres yeah so that was my job and and at, at uh, CBC Boston I was literally walking around talking about the fact that we're the first farm to grow cascades which of course craft brewers have a wonderful uh, passion for all things that are historic um, that we had anchor as a as a customer was yeah. certainly credibility and then I'd also worked at a brewery which I think also gave me some creds with, with yeah. uh, some of the so well, I give you a lot of credit for pulling back the curtain because right. it was really uh, I right. kind of alluded to it earlier like it was a, a trade that was dominated by brokers for yeah. my whole career until the last five years or so that's nice of you to say and yeah that was really the farmer direct there was program, no yeah. there was no Tete a tete, brewer, brewer and grower. There was a there was a, a significant and I think um, problematic disconnect. This is amazing, and we're, and we're going to do the show again because we're we're just touching the surface. But to wrap it up, everyone, just tell me uh, <laughs> a beer with hops that you you would recommend that we didn't try tonight. Oh, do we have to start with me? Let's just start with John. So I have oh, a yeah, second John, to think. One you didn't bring tonight. As, as my father taught me, all beers are good and some are better. And that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> what, what was another beer that you were going to bring that you did? Lagunitas IPA. Okay. I, I and great, Jeff, great what oh, beer did you leave you know, in the we, Uber? <laughs> well, we left some some other half beer in the Uber. And, and we had a beer there today that, that we talked about on the after we left even um, called Microgreens. Oh, that's, I tried that last week. Yeah, that's and it delicious. Had, it Wonderful had, stuff. It had really enough um, balance. 
to it. it so that's it, a good word, balance. You're yeah, looking for that. It was a very hoppy beer, a very small beer, but it but it had a lot of balance and it was really easy to drink. And we were thirsty as hell. Three point eight ABV. Three point eight. Ben. Um, so I used to live in Massachusetts, and Jimmy, you've got a soft spot. Uh, there's a brewery up there called Treehouse, and they've got a nice uh, IPA called Julius that I would say. And I'll tell you mine. Not too long ago, Peekskill Eastern Standard IPA was everybody's favorite IPA, and it still is great. Oh, thank you. But other half has kind of knocked people out with, with their bitter, hoppy IPAs. Yeah, yeah and, but, and I think their beer skewed toward bitterness. But what you've helped me understand on the show tonight is that I've become a big fan of threes, and, and, and I like their Here You Go, the Pale mm-hmm. Ale, and they're not really – Yeah, they're not today? really like yes. an IPA. They're not right. bitter, yet they have, they have a certain amount of hops. So. Well, a lot of character. Yes. And I think, mm-hmm. Hop yeah, character. And, yeah. and I think that's going to be the difference between you – know, That's true. Industrial – you know, people that are drinking industrial beer and transitioning into something that's not – they can still drink, like, you know, it's still beer that you can drink, but it's it's not going to... The difference between industrial beer and industrial arts. <laughs> It'll be a big difference. Yeah, you got me. Well, I, difference. I do like that we covered that a little bit, so hop character is kind of where we're going with yeah. now. Yeah. And you guys are great. And John, we learn about hop history. So we'll do another show like this another time. Events coming up, Pig Island. It's our annual event. Six Points is the beer sponsor, pigisland.com, September 12th. Check it out. It's a great event all about New York State ag and uh, supporting New York farmers. I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Today's break music was provided by Knife Show. And uh, the sponsor, thank you for I'm reading these new notes. Thanks for listening and for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you next time. What am I doing? Ben, John, and Jeff. Show. And for joining me on the Heritage Beer Network, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie, Maggie, and Justin. I'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.